it is great to be here. Thanks, Darwin. Um, let me give you, if I can, just for a minute, a couple of uh, ways to pray for RUF. So we've been here a year uh, in Fort Worth and love, uh, have loved our time in Texas. My wife, Amy, is a TCU grad, so she spent some time here uh, in college, and now we've, uh, we've made it back, and it's been great to be here. Uh, I oversee 16 campuses, 15 in Texas and New Mexico State. And um, all of our guys are, are doing their best in this uh, crazy time. Uh, if you could pray for them, they have, like all of you, I imagine, have made six plans for what the semester might look like. Uh, will students be in person or not? Can I do large group in person or do I have to do it virtually? Can we meet on campus? Like, am I essential personnel? Can I step foot on campus? Do I have to... Um, do I have to stay off the campus grounds? Uh, all of those things. They've made six plans. And they're two or three weeks in now, and uh, everything's in the air, right? Numbers are some places going up, numbers some places are going down, and uh, nobody really knows what tomorrow's going to hold. And so there is just, you can imagine, uh, waiting for the news to break. Uh, you guys have felt that for months. Uh, but imagine as you're trying to run this ministry, uh, waiting for some news bulletin or email from the provost or the dean or the, the president of the university, and uh, just living on that edge of never quite knowing how things are going to go. That's where all of our guys are. Uh, the 150 of us ministering across the country are all in that spot, kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop and to see um, what's going to happen the next day. So would you just pray for them as they uh, try to navigate that, um, that dynamic, as they try to reach out to students? Um, meeting freshmen in the midst of all of this is really challenging, and our ministry is dependent on connecting with new students. And um, So just pray that they would be able to meet new students, pray for um, <clears throat> their own health and safety, uh, as they uh, move into campus and try to do that well and carefully. Um, it, is, uh, it is a strange time. I know we all feel that, but uh, if you would just pray, uh, think to pray for our RUF campus ministers. Um, particularly, you can pray for Bradford here at TCU. Uh, Hannah and Peyton, his interns, just encourage you to remember them as you're driving around town or uh, see a horned frog somewhere. Just remember to pray for Pray for their ministry as they try to reach students. They have over 90 uh, students in small groups this semester, which is pretty remarkable given all of the dynamics going in. And uh, it just feels completely overwhelming to him and uh, to try to care for students. So if you would just pray for them, that would be great. Uh, if you would, turn in your uh, Bibles or in your bulletin to Psalm 95. Uh, as you guys are moving from a series in Acts into a series in Hosea, I'm going to take this week and just do a little refresher on worship. Worship has been strange uh, these past few months, whether it's not being able to meet and having to do the live stream thing, continuing to do the live stream, uh, to have to wear masks in the service, uh, to sing with masks on, all, just all of the, the different dynamics that are, exist right now. Um, I think it is, uh, it is so sweet to be able to be together. I can remember the first Sunday uh, that we returned to worship as a family. Uh, just th that feeling, even in the midst of the weirdness, uh, there was something about being together with other believers, singing not in our living room in our pajamas, but with people uh, in God's house. 
And so I think it, it's helpful for us to ask the question, what is it about worship that is so sweet to us? What does worship do in us? And, and more importantly, how does God work through worship to shape and form us? Uh, it, you can think um, in the midst of so much loss, in the midst of so much uncertainty, that the centering and grounding act of God's people is to be together regularly in worship. Uh, we might think that, that prayer is the thing that anchors us, and prayer is certainly important. Uh, but if you're like me, your prayer life is sort of like this pandemic. It is all over the place. And there are days where it's fabulous, and there are days where it's non-existent. And so it's hard to center ourselves in that. And God actually calls us to regular worship, to center us, to bring us back, to anchor us in the truth of the gospel, the, the, the story of the gospel. Uh, I want to give just a couple of uh, notes to kids. If you're here and sometimes it's hard to pay attention, let me give you a couple things to listen out for. Uh, the word worthship, W-O-R-T-H, S-H-I-P, worthship. Uh, there'll be a, a quote about singing and praying, the connection between singing and praying, and then a story about Hamilton, uh, the musical. And so if you guys would be listening out for that, that would be great. Let me, let me pray, and then I will read our passage. Uh, Lord God, you are kind in all that you do. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth and life to us. I pray that you would be present by your spirit that you would work amongst us uh, as we read and hear your word preached, as we participate in, uh, in worship this morning. Would you meet us? Would you work by your spirit to make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage, we're going to try to figure out what is it that, that God is doing in us when we worship. So let's read together. This is Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." The word of the Lord. Let me give just a couple of introductory comments about this passage before we dig in. This is, in some ways, the psalm on worship in the whole Psalter. If you, if you grew up maybe in a more liturgical tradition, you might know this as the Venite, right? The Latin for the first two words of this psalm, O come. Uh, the Venite is used and has been used by the church for, for hundreds and hundreds of years to draw God's people into worship. We need to think just briefly, what is it that worship is? What's our definition of worship? It may be just the, the, the act of showing up every Sunday, participating, singing. And I think all of those are elements of worship, and those are important elements. But worship, 
Uh, Tim Keller says it this way, worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object and engaging your mind, your heart, and your will, the whole being, as you do it. The old English word uh, that worship comes from is worthship, ascribing worth or value to something. And it's using your entire person. If you look at, the, at this psalm, uh, it talks about our emotions, right? Verses 1 through 5 talk about coming to God with our emotions. Verse 6 and 7 talk about kneeling, this act of submission, that there is some peace in our worship where we are bringing our wills under God's will. And we are asking that His will would be done in and through us. And verses 7b through 11 talk about remembering Uh, This act of of remembering who God is and what he has done for us. It's worshiping with our minds and our understanding. It is a whole-bodied, full experience of worship as we come together. Secondly, there is throughout this psalm a community emphasis. Look at, uh, let us sing, verse 1. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise. The entire psalm talks about us coming together as God's people into worship. Now, there is something to our individual, personal, devotional life, certainly. But God has called us as a people to come together. We need one another. Just as the Trinity exists in perfect community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're to come, imperfect as we are, we're to come together and to worship, to encourage one another. I need that person standing next to me to encourage and embolden my worship. It's what made the the quarantine so challenging. As we are worshiping by ourselves, there's something missing in that. There is a longing to be together with God's people. That we can be encouraged by one another into deeper trust and faith and obedience. Uh, C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters uh, has this great passage about the demons trying to distract us from true worship by making us aware and, and only focus on the things that we don't like about the people around us in church. Right, and so maybe it's the, the, the lady who dresses kind of funny, or the guy that sings more loudly than he should for the quality of his voice. Uh, maybe it's the, that family with, with those kids, right, the ones that always sit right behind you during the church service. Whatever it is, right, the demon's focus is to, is to, to keep you uh, attuned to that instead of worship. And, and, and the reason the demons do that is that There is something so powerful about us being together in worship. And if we can be distracted in any way from that, uh, they they will take advantage. And so we we need each other. And this psalm, Psalm 95, highlights the fact that corporate worship is so important. It is the thing that grounds us. It is a rhythm that we need every week. Lastly, uh, for introduction, uh, the distinction here. It's not that there are two kinds of people in the world, those who worship and those who don't, right? We are all created in God's image, and in being created in his image, we are created as worshipers. We all come as worship, worshipers. We worship something. Uh, Tim Keller says this, I'll put it this way, the world is not simply divided into people who worship and people who don't. The world is divided into people who worship things that will distort your life, people who worship the wrong things, and people who worship the only proper object worthy of the worship of your soul. 
Those are the only two prospects. You're either worshiping the wrong things or you're worshiping the only one whose worship will not distort your life. He goes on, you will not be able to worship unless you recognize that your heart has already ascribed ultimate value to something. The process of true worship of God is to recognize where your worship already is and transfer the value of it to God. In other words, true worship is not whooping up something you don't have already. It's transferring the ultimate value ascription your heart has already made from the things where it already is to God. That's what changes your life. We are already worshiping something. And the goal of our worship service is to hone in on Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us, and to transfer that value ascription onto him. You may have heard it said before, like, leave your problems at the door when you come into church, and you want a blank slate when you come to worship. And I think it's actually uh, nearsighted. It doesn't quite capture what we're supposed to do. Uh, Kevin Twitt, another RUF campus minister, talks all the time about uh, bringing all of our baggage into worship with us. That what, we, what happens during the week is that often we get turned upside down. Like we're put in the dryer, the spin cycle of our washing machine or something, and we, we get all twisted around. And as we bring all of that stuff into worship, what God does as we begin to focus on him, his character, and his accomplishments for us, is that it begins to right the ship for us. We begin to see with new eyes from his perspective what we're to do with our problems, how we're to rest in Christ, how we're to focus our only hope on Jesus himself. So as we look this morning at this passage, I want to look at three things that we're to do in worship and say, what are those three things? And then what happens in us as we do those things? The first thing we're to do is to sing. We are to sing. We are commanded, oh come, let us sing to the Lord, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And verses 3 through 5 tell us why. Why are, we, why are we to sing? First, we're to sing because he is a great God. The Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. God is our creator. He has established everything that is. He is good to us. He has worked through creation to provide everything that we need. He is amazing in his creation. He is a great king. He is above every other God that we would put up against him. He is sovereign and supreme. He is a great God, and we sing because of his greatness. We also sing because we're a singing people. We were made to love and appreciate beauty, to express that through music, through our singing. I love that David, so often in the Psalms, it's like he goes to his instrument closet and he grabs whatever he can find and he brings it out in praise of the greatness of God. The Bible is full of singing people, right? Adam, in the very beginning in Genesis, when Eve is created, he can't help but sing. God brings all the animals by And he names them, and a a suitable helper is not found for him. And when God makes Eve, and he sees Eve for the first time, he sings in praise of God for creating Eve. Through the Old Testament, God's people sing. Do you remember the horse and rider thrown into the sea? As God has accomplished all of these great things, the people 
They sing in worship. In the New Testament, we see the church singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs together. We are a singing people. We also sing because God is a singing God. Maybe you remember uh, in Deuteronomy 31, God is establishing uh, Joshua's leadership. Moses is about to die, and he says to Moses, one of his last acts on earth, he says, uh, write this song that I wrote and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. God is saying in, in Deuteronomy 31 and 32, write this song down that I wrote. I'm giving you a song. God sings. In Zephaniah chapter 3, maybe you know this verse, the Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. We come and we sing in worship because God is great. Because we're a singing people and he is a singing God. He created us to love beauty and to express it in that way. Now what does singing do in us? A couple of things. It increases our wonder. G.K. Chesterton has this great quote. He says this, We are perishing for a want of wonder, not a want of wonders. Right? We can go out. And we can see all of these amazing creations. Uh, maybe, maybe your family goes to Colorado for the summer. Uh, it's always a treat. Maybe you're a beach person. Whatever it is in creation that you love, we do not lack for evidence of God's greatness. But there is something about us that distorts that, and we lose the wonder of it. There's static on the line somewhere in our hearts to go from this is amazing into straight into worship. And so as we sing, God works to, to remove the static so that we can see more clearly who God is and what he has done for us. It brings out new and different aspects of God's character. It's like a, a diamond as it refracts the light. You get to see as you spin it, you get to see all of these different colors. It's really amazing. The same is true. We sing from a broad catalog of music in our church. And we do that because it brings out different aspects, some new, new hymns, new songs, some old uh, traditional tuned songs that really bring out different aspects of God's character. It also brings out different emotions in us. Our, our wonder is increased as we sing not just happy songs, but sometimes we sing songs in minor keys. We sing songs with a depth of emotion. A real longing. The Psalms are full of examples of David pouring out his heart in anguish before the Lord. One of my favorite uh, retuned hymns, uh, if you're familiar with the Indelible Grace movement, is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And it's this, there's this great longing, this cry for God to lead us. And the bridge at the end says, Land me safe on Canaan's side. Bid my anxious fears goodbye. And the way that you have to sing that at least the way I have to sing it, I'm not a great singer, but the way I have to you are almost on your toes in full-bodied worship to hit those notes, there is this longing that comes through as we sing, and it increases our wonder. If you were just to read the words off the page, it doesn't hit you in the same way. It doesn't engage your heart and your mind and your will in the same way. Singing also helps us pray. Augustine is attributed to have said, he who sings prays twice. 
that there's something between this connection between our minds and our hearts that as we are engaged in singing, engaged in worship, that our prayers become more full, that our prayers become more real. They are more experienced in that way. Uh, Our kids in the pandemic have loved uh, that we got Disney Plus. Maybe some of you have done that and experienced the joys of watching Hamilton the musical. We've never seen it live, but we've been able to watch it maybe a hundred times in the quarantine. And um, our kids, uh, they, see, they, they almost know every word. I said the other day, I was just walking around the house and said, I'll be back in a second. And then my seven-year-old starts singing, you'll be back, right? And there is this... There is this thing that has gone deep into them. My kids yesterday, we were driving around, and they were talking about school starting and what's going to be your favorite subject. And my 11-year-old said, I think I'm going to like history. I'm really, like, I'm really going to like history. And the 13-year-old is like, ah, what history? He's like, well, I like Hamilton. Of course I'm going to like history. And we didn't have the heart to, to, to tell them that not all of history is like Hamilton. But um, there is a sense in which they know that content. They have gotten it because it's memorable. So many pastors in our tradition learn the Westminster Shorter Catechism by singing it. We, we have it on, uh, set to music, and that's how we have learned it. There is something in us that that is deep and that goes to helping us remember, helping us pray. It sinks the words from our head down into our hearts as we sing. Uh, It can be helpful uh, to think about um, this idea, uh, maybe you've heard this, of praying until you pray, that sometimes you kind of have to jumpstart the engine. I've never owned an old truck, but I have some friends with old trucks, and right, you have to hold your mouth just right and get the key just right and hit the gas just the right amount to kind of get that thing to turn over and to turn on. Sometimes we're like that. You could show up early to the worship service, and you could have fought with your children, um, gotten in a disagreement with your wife on the way here, whatever happens, and you could just not be feeling it. And there's that sense you have to engage and you have, to, you have to keep praying until you pray. The same is true as we sing. We sing until we're really singing, until we're engaged in that. So as we look at uh, music during communion or our closing hymn, I just encourage you to, to really think about it, to, to work at engaging your heart and your mind and your will as you sing. God also calls us in this psalm to kneel. Uh, verses 6 and 7, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. That idea of submitting ourselves, submitting our wills, is so important in the Christian life. As we are shaped by our worship, we are, we are uh, bringing our will under God's will. And why do we do that? We do it, verse 7, because He is our God. If you notice, we sing because He is a great God. Because he is worthy of all of our worship, but we kneel to him. We submit because he is our God. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep in his pasture. He is the one who is our good shepherd, who cares for us. He is the one who takes care of every need that we have. Uh, If you know this about sheep, you can lead sheep to water and they will drink but they are not smart enough to know when, they are, uh, when their thirst has been quenched. The shepherd actually has to lead them away from water or they will gorge themselves on the water and be sick. 
And that's a little bit like us. God, our faithful shepherd, has to care for us in every moment, and he does that, and we submit to him because his care for us is good and kind. He is our God. As worship shapes us, as we learn more about who God is and what he has done for us, our worship shapes us into his character. James, James Smith says this, Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. As we come, we come willing for God to change us, asking God to work in our hearts. Thirdly, we ask God to help us remember. The end of this psalm is a little bit strange. On the psalm on worship, it goes into God's people not finding rest, right? Um, But here's what's happening. God's people uh, have come to, to Meribah and Massah, and they have forgotten all that God has done for them. And they begin to test him. They begin to complain and grumble and ask for things and demand different food. They begin to test God. And they've forgotten. And so the psalm calls us to remember. The psalm calls us to, to think on and to be centered on who God is and what he has done for us. We are reshaped as we remember who God is and what he has done for us. In, in, in RUF, we talk a lot, one of the questions we get from a lot of new students is, what, what does reformed actually mean? And there are lots of answers to that. We're, we're connected to, to the Protestant Reformation in the, in the 16th century, and we, um, we have this long tradition of being connected to the church. But I, I will often tell our students being reformed actually means that we, when we come to God, we come with all of these preconceived notions about who God is, about who we are, about what it's like to live in his world. And as we come into worship together, God takes our hearts and he reforms them according to his will. That he helps us remember who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we remember, we're able to then be shaped by that. That our lives are transformed as we remember and as we submit and as we sing to God in praise. So as we worship, even in these uh, strange times, in, in, in this season of so much loss and uncertainty, we can come knowing that God is a great God, that he is worthy of all of our praise, that he is our God That he is our kind and good shepherd, the one who provides for all that we need. And as we come, we come and remember. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, and we're going to remember all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's one element of worship that we would eventually leave here this morning, that we would go back to our neighborhoods, back to our jobs on Tuesday, that we would go to our schools, wherever God has called us, and that we would go remembering who he is and what he has done for us, that we would rejoice in in Jesus, and that our worship would center us, that it would be the thing that would cause us to, to look at the uncertainty of our world and to rest, because God is kind. That we would look at our loss and we would trust. That we would have deeper obedience, because God is good, 
And even when it's hard to follow him, it's worth it. And Jesus has accomplished so much for us. Let me pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for your people, your kindness to us, the ways that you provide and care for us. Thank you for Jesus, for his life and death and resurrection. Would you help us to remember your kindness to us? Would you help us to remember his work on our behalf? Would you meet us in our sorrow, in our uh, fear? Would you meet us in our joy even? Father, would you be present Would you help us to remember, would you inhabit our worship and transform our lives? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.